The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Mark. Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became dazzling white, such as no fuller on earth could bleach them. And then Elijah appeared to them along with Moses, and they were conversing with Jesus. Then Peter said to Jesus in reply, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He hardly knew what to say. They were so terrified. And then a cloud came, casting a shadow over them. Then from the cloud came a voice. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Suddenly, looking around, the disciples no longer saw anyone but Jesus alone with them. As they were coming down from the mountain, he charged them not to relate what they had seen to anyone, except when the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what rising from the dead meant. Then they asked him, Why do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? And he told them, Elijah will indeed come first and restore all things. Yet how is it written regarding the Son of Man that he must suffer greatly and be treated with contempt? But I tell you that Elijah has come, and they did to him whatever they pleased, as it is written of him. The Gospel of the Lord. Our first reading today makes the very important statement that without faith, it is impossible to please God. That rankles the ear of the modern heart, which says, why can't I just please God some other way? Or what do you mean that by myself I'm not already and intrinsically pleasing to God? But note what it says. Without faith, it is not unlikely, but impossible to please God. What an important statement that is. But it also rests on the very essence of what it is to be a believer, which is not to believe things about the Lord, but to believe, prepositions are important, in the Lord. Faith is not just knowing details and believing they're true. Faith is belief in a person. And so note what it says, that unless one believes he exists in the first place, that's believing something true, but also believing in that he rewards those who seek him. 
that even as I approach the Lord, there is a certain trust in my heart, a certain confidence, even though I do not see him and I often do not directly see his care, I know it's there. And I am confident that it will continue to be there. And when we understand that, the personal character of faith as being oriented to not to propositions, but to a person, we see exactly why without it we can't be pleasing to him. Because without it, we're not really ever turning to him. We're believing in someone else, in something else. But when we truly do believe in him, however imperfectly, however slightly, that movement toward him, that surrendering ourselves to him, is what makes us pleasing to him. And note, the author of the letter to Hebrews doesn't say, without, the, without great works done in faith, it is impossible to please God. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, without a perfect character, it is impossible to please God. We're the ones who add those details. And what happens then? We trip over the fact that I'm not as perfect as I think I should be. What he says is, without faith. Because faith is what allows me to recognize that imperfect as I am, as I trust him, he will bring me to greater perfection. It's not a matter of me bringing myself to perfection first. It is a matter of me turning to him with a certain confident trust, knowing that he will care for me, that he will move me forward. And it is in this light, no pun intended, that we consider the remarkable incident that the Gospel of St. Mark sets before us today, the moment of the transfiguration of the Lord. And it is vitally important that we put our memories to work to understand what is happening in this incident. Because over the last couple days, Immediately before this moment, and involving this same St. Peter who is present in this story, the Lord was doing something. He asked his disciples, who do men say that I am? What does the world say about me? And then he asked them, but who do you say that I am? What do you say about me? And then finally he spoke about himself. And he spoke about himself in terms of the word of the cross, that he will be rejected, that he will suffer, that he will die, and that he will rise. And we saw immediately Peter objecting to that, basically saying, Lord, as far as plans go, that's not the best one. And the Lord correcting him because the Lord hasn't come to conform to Peter's expectations or ours. He has come to conform us to himself. And what a remarkable moment this is where the Lord says, if anyone would be my disciple, we heard this yesterday, let him deny himself, let him pick up his cross, and let him follow me. And beautifully and wondrously, we see something that involves 
following Jesus immediately after he says that. That's where we are here. And so Jesus, who says this to his disciples, now takes three of them, Peter, James, and John. And note how particular this is. Jesus knows exactly who he wants to be with him at this moment. Because there are moments in the spiritual life, there are moments in the life of grace, which are not for everyone right now. They are potentially for everyone at any time, but not for everybody at the same time. And so among his disciples, Jesus has three for whom the moment is now. And he says, you come with me. Note the intimacy of that. And note how gentle this is, because the others who are not ready for this aren't invited. Not because Jesus thinks less of them, not because Jesus thinks they're not any good, but because this is not the moment for them. But it is the moment for these three. In all of our spiritual lives, the more we move with Jesus, from time to time there is that moment where the Lord will say into our hearts, and you, now's the time. Now, you come with me. And even within our own families, people can be on different schedules with that. It is not for everybody at the same time, because the Lord calls each one of us in this way at the right time, the time that is right in our relationship with him. And so it is that after the Lord confronts Peter with that cutting statement, get behind me, Satan, look what he does. Now he says, let me show you where we're going. What you couldn't see when we reject it, let me show you. And so as St. Mark lays out the story of Jesus for us, note how beautiful this is. The Lord says, deny yourself, pick up the cross, and follow me. And in a sense, Jesus now turns to these three men and says, now let me show you where we're going. So that you can understand the importance of the self-denial, of the picking of the cross picking up of the cross, so that you understand those parts that you find off-putting, let me show you where we're going, and let me show you in all truth who is leading you, who you are following. Because remember the sequence. What does the world say about me? What do you say about me? What do I say about me? And the Lord, who has now spoken about himself, takes these three aside to show himself to them, and beautifully to bring them to a point where they can hear what heaven says about him. Note how marvelous that is. But just as heaven is above the earth, so now he invites these three to climb. You come with me, and we're going to rise. And this moment of ascending, of climbing a mountain, is very, very important. Because when one does this, first one begins by moving away. They move away from the other disciples. They move away from what was just in front of their eyes a few minutes ago. They move away from the voices that are in their ears all the time. They move away and then they begin to move above. 
And this movement above, note what happens. The higher one rises, the smaller everything that seemed so big before becomes. Those overwhelming realities of the world begin to look smaller. All of that noise that fills my ears and doesn't let me think becomes harder to hear. The climbing isn't easy, but as one goes through the climbing, the air becomes purer. The sounds around one become different. And from the height, one can see farther. It is not just that the big things of the world now seem small, as I also see more of the world from rising above it. This element of rising in the spiritual life is not a traditional element of how we talk about prayer by accident, because, because when the heart rises, it rises above all of those things that are less than it. And it is so very important that we do that regularly simply for a proper perspective, simply to give ourselves the opportunity to hear clearly and to see without other things blocking our vision. And so they rise. And note how this matches an element of the Mass. Every time we say Mass, just at the beginning of the Eucharistic prayer, what does the priest say to the people? Lift up your hearts. On the one hand, lift them up toward God, but also lift them up. Lift them up above all those things that want to drag them down. Pull them out of there. Lift them up. Lift them up above the clouds of this world into the sunlight of grace. And in a sense, that's what's happening here. They rise closer to heaven. They rise closer to the sun. They rise, in a sense, above the clouds and the fog and the noise of the world. They rise above the good things of the world because they are rising toward better things. This is what Jesus invites them to. We, oftentimes, in our a lack of faith, want this to happen right away in our spiritual lives. And it generally doesn't. And that's the truth. Note, Peter, John, and James have been with Jesus a long time now. Jesus just confronted Peter that as long as you've been with me, you still don't know me. But out of that history, what looked like a low point is that moment now of rising to the high point. And so they climb with the Lord. And when they get to that point to which he will lead them, and this too is vitally important, not you nor I are in charge of our spiritual lives. The minute we're in charge of our prayer, we're already doing it wrong. Before we've even said a word. Note, they let the Lord lead them into this prayerfulness. They let the Lord lead them in the climbing. They have to do the work, but that work as well is a following. The rising is a rising with Jesus, a rising after Jesus, a rising alongside Jesus. Note how wonderful that is. 
where it is the Lord, little by little, guiding the movement of the heart upward. This is not an everyday moment, but it is a real moment. It is a real movement. And then as we rise with him, we get to that point, that summit to which he leads us. And the reality is this. On the planet Earth, there are higher mountains, much higher mountains than Mount Tabor. But that is the mountain of the moment. When the Lord invites us to rise with him, it's not automatically always to the top of the highest mountain, but the mountain that we can climb. And that's important, too. That's important, too, because it's still above. It's still above the world. It's still a movement in the direction of heaven. There will be higher mountains, higher points to which he will lead these disciples later. But for now, they're rising to this one. And when they get to the summit, note, not while they're on the way. While they're on the way, all the other things happen. The world begins to recede. They begin to see farther. The lungs begin to fill themselves with clearer air. They have a moment to collect themselves even as they're breathing harder as they climb. But finally, finally they get to the top. And when the work of the climbing is over and they reach the top, before their eyes, something happens. And notice again, they don't do a thing except get there with Jesus. When they get to the top, it's not about what they do. It's not about how ready they are because they can't possibly be ready for what happens next. Yeah, and Jesus can be like that. He doesn't say while you're climbing, and just to soften the blow, let me let you know that there's going to be a surprise. You're going to see me in a new way. You know, notice he doesn't do that. You know, you, you think the disciples every now and then feel like you've set me up. Because even when it's wonderful, it's overwhelming, and they're not ready for it. But they're in a place where they can also safely be overwhelmed. There's no one there to see. There's no one there to laugh at them. There's no one there to say, what's going on? It's just them and Jesus. And suddenly there's this overwhelming moment. And what's overwhelming about it? Jesus is too bright for their eyes. Jesus suddenly, without any warning, is transfigured before them, and this gleaming whiteness, brighter than the sun, is where Jesus should be. Their eyes aren't ready for this. Their heads aren't ready for this. Their hearts aren't ready for this. And as they're looking at Jesus, beautifully, as they're looking at Jesus, they see Elijah, the prophets, and then they see Moses, the lawgiver. But note, they see them because they see Jesus. In the light of the presence of Jesus, they see the law and the prophets, the scriptures, in a way they never did before. And they see that the scriptures speak with Jesus, and Jesus speaks to the scriptures. But who's in the center? Not Moses, not Elijah, but Jesus because the full speaking of Scripture is speaking about Christ. And Jesus is the one who completes it and discloses the real meaning. 
And even as they're saying this, Peter looks at Jesus and says, and it's a remarkable statement. It's a remarkable statement that we have to read fully to understand what is happening here. Lord, how good it is for us to be here, he says. Let's build three tents. Peter doesn't know what to do. He doesn't know what to say. How good it is to be here. Let's build the tents for you, for Moses and Elijah. And what, but why does he say it? St. Mark very carefully says, because he didn't know what to say. They were so terrified. You know, and that's really absolutely surprising. It doesn't sound like the words of a terrified man, does it? I'm frightened out of my mind. How good is it to be here? And this is absolutely remarkable. It's part of the greatness of St. Peter. He's just been shot down by Jesus, but he climbs the mountain with him. Jesus hits him with this overwhelming revelation of who he is. So overwhelming, so good, it's actually frightening. Imagine that, to be frightened and overwhelmed by goodness. It's so good. It's so different from anything I've ever seen. I'm completely disoriented. I don't know how to look. I don't know where to turn. I've got, and so Peter is like, like we would be. I have to say something because once again, the other disciples with him aren't going to do a thing. And so Peter says, I, I've got to respond in some way. The last time I responded, I got it wrong. <laughs> but I'm not going to stop responding. It's the greatness of St. Peter. Uh, let's build three tents. And as soon as he says this, see, this is not Peter simply being foolish. This is that beautiful foolishness of a heart that's overwhelmed by the goodness of Christ and doesn't know exactly what to do. But he does know I've got to say something. He does know I've got to do something. And the story doesn't turn here on Peter getting it right. It turns on him responding. And as soon as he says, let's build a tent, which are shelters, note what happens. A cloud comes down, a different kind of covering, a different kind of shelter. And what does a cloud do? It blocks light. It obscures the vision. And so suddenly, even as he says this, there's something different that happens. Now heaven directly intervenes. The cloud comes down from above. And even the goodness that they saw is becoming obscure. And within the cloud, they stand. A very different kind of a tent. And the cloud is the symbol, the presence of the Lord that comes down over the meeting tent. And here it comes down over Jesus, the true meeting tent between man and God. And it comes down over him, and out of that cloud, a voice speaks into their overwhelmed hearts and ears and spirits. And what does the voice say? This, and not someone else. This one, right here, is my beloved son. You listen 
to him. Because that's the tent the Lord wants. Not an earthly tent where he gets to stay. Not a tent where we get to stay in the high moments of the faith and never leave them. He wants that tent of a tent of listening in our hearts. He wants that tent of always knowing he is the one to whom I must look. And looking to him, note how the eye leads to the ear. Looking at him and seeing who he is, I know the one to whom I must listen. And note, the voice doesn't say, listen to Moses. It doesn't say, listen to Elijah. It doesn't say, ignore them. But it doesn't say, listen to the scriptures. It says, you listen to my son. Listen to Christ. That's the very essence of the Catholic engagement with sacred scripture. We listen to a person. We don't merely read from a book. And through the scriptures, it is a person who speaks to us. And it is a person who helps us understand the meaning. Listen, you, listen to him. And it's at this point, the cloud dissipates, and all they see is Jesus. Not Jesus and Moses and Elijah, just Jesus. Not Jesus and anybody else, just Jesus. Note how in the end, on the one hand, they were going up the mountain just with Jesus. But now being just with Jesus feels a whole lot different, looks a whole lot different. And when they go back down the mountain, they do not go back down the same. They don't have the same relationship with Jesus anymore. It's different. It's deeper. There's something about it that's new. Jesus will speak the same words, but they will hear them differently. Jesus will do the same things, but they will see them differently. And all of a sudden, Peter understands. I thought I knew you, but there was so much more to you. And he gives them this glimpse of a transfigured and transformed and glorious life, because that's where the cross is going to lead so that they know. He who gives them the word of the cross gives them a glimpse of the end. It will take them time still to understand it. And so note what he says. Don't come down the mountain and start telling your buddies about this, because they're not going to understand. And you still won't understand it fully until something else happens. But when I rise from the dead, you're going to remember this day on the mountain. And then you're finally going to see. Then you're finally going to know. You'll know what rising from the dead means. Because you rose with me up that mountain, and you saw, and you heard. And so there will be a moment when you share this, but it won't be right away. We Christians sometimes are premature in how we share certain elements of our faith. We barely understand them yet. They're fresh for us, or they're particular to us, and we're in a hurry to let others know. And note how often the Lord is everything in time. And the time is seldom right away. 
Let this penetrate you. Learn to listen to me, and then you'll share. And as we've said all of that, just think for a moment. We've moved through the mass. And when we come through these doors, we step out of the world. And as we gather here, little by little, our hearts and our minds rise through the movements of the Mass. And now, having heard the Lord speak to us through the sacred scriptures, we find ourselves at the mountain. And the altar is very much a mountain. And we who have climbed with Jesus through the Mass are now with him on the mountain. Consider that as I prepare the altar in just a minute. Because what's going to happen? There's going to be a moment when I look up to you holding the chalice and the consecrated host in my hand. And what am I going to say? Behold. The eyes of your body are not going to see the blazing light of, your, of the sun. Oh, but let the eyes of your heart open. Because every time we celebrate this sacrament, we who climb the mountain of the Mass, the prayer of the church with the Lord, come to that moment where he is transfigured before our eyes. For the eyes of the body, but most especially the eyes of the Spirit. Note how wonderful that is. And then we get to come forward and do what the disciples couldn't that day. We get to touch him. We get to stretch out our hands and receive him and take him into our hearts that we can continue moving with him. And note how wonderful it is? Just as the disciples came back down the mountain with Jesus to continue following him, so do we. We receive him. And shortly after we leave this space, we climb back down go back out into the world that waits for us at the foot of the mountain. But we go back different, and we go back with him. What a beautiful example of the transformative power of the Mass when we celebrate it with attention, when we engage it with devotion, and when we truly let the Lord be the one who leads us through it and the one who leads us out afterwards. Amen.